Welcome back today, guys, to round number two with Miami Homes for All. Audrey gives us a great insight into the program she helps develop for the youth suffering from homelessness. Her and I also discuss those who choose the van life. And we even go off topic a little bit and go over how superficial Miami can be sometimes. So let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight You know, we typically have 10 people in our YVAC. Eight out of the 10 youth said something similar happened to me or someone I know. And so there are so many cases of this happening. And so, the, the, you know, just going back to our, to our earlier point that we just need to be listening to our residents. Um, because it's just your customer exactly. really, at the end of and, the day. Exactly. And giving them the tools to understand what are the policies that could work or what are the policies that could happen to address the issue that you're saying. So when it comes to affordable housing, you know, how do we, you know, our residents are saying, how do we make, um, you know, vouchers easier to access? Okay, so what's the research there? That's what we do at MHFA. What we do is we listen to what our community is saying. Uh, we do some research. We share these things. We, have, we bring people together. And we say, hey, like, what do you think about these different policies? That one works. That one won't work. This might work. And then we... That fast tracks a lot of effort on your part. Yeah. Too, by just having them come in and say, yeah, this is... Because exactly. that's eventually what you're going to do anyway. Exactly. And then and- we, we bring them, you know, we partner with them to um, meet with stakeholders and we say, okay, these are the things that our community are saying could win. Let's make this happen. Um, yeah. So we have yeah, a lot that, of fun at MHFA. That is... No, that's... I love the, I love the point that you had said too that you're looking for policies that like do good right? because there's so many times, especially when you're involving like commissioners and um, people of power that are okay with as long as it looks good or it sounds good, but they're not always so focused on the do good like you guys are. And I love that because it's so functional because if it doesn't do good, it's, there's no purpose in doing it. And um, it reminded me of, have you ever heard of an HDFC property? Yes. Up in uh, – there's some in Manhattan. There, there's some down here too? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not really the housing expert. Sabrina Velarde is our housing okay. <laughs> person. I focus more on the homelessness stuff, but go ahead. Sorry. Because when I was a realtor in, in New York City, um, it stands for Housing Development Fund Corporation. And what it does, it's really meant to provide home ownership to people with – not as much income as the general area. So it's income restrictive. And in Manhattan, there's a lot of different neighborhoods that that have them. Some Upper West Side, some in the Bronx, um, some in good neighborhoods as well. They were really buildings that were um, given to the city or sold to the city by the landlords in the 80s and 90s when the neighborhoods were just crime-ridden, almost like down in Miami, down here in the during the same time frame. And 
the landlords, if they put some money into it, they're not getting anything back because it's just in a dilapidated neighborhood, crime ridden. So uh, they ended up selling them to the uh, to the city, and the city revamped them and put an income restriction on them to where you can own it, but you can only make X amount of money. We do have those here. You do okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in the city, though, it, in New York, it sounds so good, but when I actually started doing some research on them. It it didn't always do good. It wasn't always the in, intended. Didn't always make its mark um, because it ended up for one person they needed to make no more than seventy five thousand a year, and this is in today's standards. Um, and if it was a two person household, it was one hundred fifty thousand a year. And in the city, to buy a condo, you need to or it was it's a co op. Excuse me, not a condo. It's a co op. Um, you need to put down still, even with those um, income restrictive housing, you still need to put 20% down. And in New York City, this might probably just a New York City based rule as well. You also need to show 20% post closing liquid assets. So basically to get in one of these units, you need to have 40% at the time of closing to be able to buy one of these. Now they're also very, the, the price is reduced. So basically if, if a one or two bedroom, um, co-op is going for, you know, seven, 800,000 in the upper West side, these are probably around two fifty three hundred thousand. 300,000. Um, but even still, you know, 250,000, 40% is a hundred thousand. So you need to come up with basically right. $100,000 in, 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 in cash, which is unachievable yeah. if you're making 75000 exactly. a year, one hundred fifty. dollars um, except there's three demographics that can do that. Number one, it's the super saver who works, saves, works, saves, doesn't spend, which in today especially, it's just very, very, very unlikely. You have the retiree, which they probably throughout their lifetime accumulated some wealth and have some savings. Now their income has severely dropped because of maybe a pension and so forth, but they do have some saved up to be able to afford that. Um, both probably not the, – these units probably not designed for them. And then the third makes me laugh because it's almost like the exact opposite of the type of person these units were designed for, which is the person who just graduated from college. Mm-hmm. They get that first, and you probably know mm-hmm. where I'm going with this. Yeah. They get that first job, 60, 75,000 a year, and then their parents have money that they can give to them. And then that's like the opposite, like the cringeworthy, no, 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 that's not what this was designed for first. And um, um, there's, you know, obviously a, a lot of cases where it did work out and everything. But it just uh, it reminded me of that, and I do love the do good mentality, which is probably why you guys have success because you're just you're not looking at what sounds good, what you know might fly through social media, right. some sayings. You're just we just want policies that we know one are achievable and one will actually get things done. Um, we hate writing plans and policies that just sit on shelves. That's not what we're about. Um, and I think to your point, when it comes to housing choice vouchers or other or 
frankly, other all kinds of vouchers that exist in our community, there are so many limitations, right? It's really exciting to have all these voucher programs here, but when it comes to actually um, using them, it's so challenging, one, to find a unit to use it for. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, one of our youth that I've worked with, she, you know, was able to access a voucher, and she's had it for months now, and she still can't find an affordable housing unit for that voucher. Really? That's, to, that's surprising, because right? don't they have to take it? Yeah, 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 because I, like, I, I work at a, a property, maybe just because the company I work for is a good company, and <laughs> they, they follow the rules and everything, but, um, you know, that's one thing, when, when somebody does, you know, we don't have, um, you know, affordable housing units in our building, but if somebody does come with a voucher or anything, like, our legal responsibility and our tattooed saying that we have, that we say is, we do accept all vouchers. Right. And so it, it's interesting that you say that, but, you know, she's been struggling trying to find a unit mm. um, that she can use that voucher for. And so, you know, to your point about policies that are meant to do good, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and I think that's where we try to address that gap. Like, how you know, what, what do we need to do to... Um, you know, fix that. You know, we we have um, different kinds of. We also have different kinds of policies and programs to connect people to affordable units, but we find that many landlords are not engaging in that program. Or that's a good word, engaging. Yeah, because it. Cause it, it, it <laughs> uh, yeah, and then you know, there's a there's a really interesting program now in the city of Miami to rehab buildings for free. We'll give you money. To rehab your building so it's, um, you know, up to code, so it's eco-friendly, all these different things. And property managers and landlords are like, meh, nah, I'm good. It's like, <laughs> we're literally <laughs> going to give you money to do this. So it's so interesting that, you know, we have these policies that were developed thinking that this could really work. But then, you know, it just kind of stops. So I think... A lot of, I think, a lot of times when we, in policy work, it's a lot of trial and error um, to 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 move the needle on things. But I think when it comes to issues like affordable housing that many people don't want to talk about, I think it's important to just to try everything that's possible. Um, whether it's creating an affordable housing trust fund, whether it's um, you know thinking about you know creating you know we we have the Green Miami housing the uh, affordable housing. Uh, framework and the connect capital stuff, you know, to kind of go back to, um, you know, we, we're just kind of, we're just putting things forward. <laughs> and so I think that's kind of like what we, what we want to see happen. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And I'd be curious to know um, if you guys do have some friendly landlords that you guys have had consistent success with, are they? Um... I, I can't tell you that we do have some um, small landlords or, um, some some small developers are part of, and some larger developers are part of our coalition, um, and they've been really great to work with. You know, and the I think some things that we need to think about is how do we expand. You know, when we so here in Florida we have this program called Link Florida Link, um, and so these are apartments that can be utilized by someone fleeing from DV, experienced homelessness, we're a veteran, uh, someone with disability, someone that coming out of the foster care system, um, you know, we have these units, but it's unfortunate that 
some developers are not using this opportunity when, you know, it, and so, I mean, it, 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 there's a lot of policies out there that's like... They're almost like the people not using the vouchers. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. And so it's kind of like, wait, how can we, you know, and, and it's an opportunity, you, you'll get tax breaks, you have all these things, and then, you know, meh. and yep. so it's, it's a very interesting system that we have here, particularly in South Florida, where... I think a lot of times we, we just, okay, frankly, I think in South Florida, we focus so much on how do we increase our profits and we don't think about the steps in between. Um, I think that's a lot of times the issue that we have here. Um, I think, you know, not to knock landlords or developers, but it's like, you know, I mean, that's their business, right? That's the whole point of business is, you know, how do I maximize my profits? You know, I, I totally get that. But then you can still increase your profits by doing good. You might, in fact, increase your profits tenfold by doing some good. For sure, yeah. Right? Yeah, because there's, there's tax breaks, tax it's, shelters. Correct, it's, correct. And so I think, you know, and I always question why, you know, these things are not talked about enough. You know, if it, you know, when we think about, you know, social responsibility and all these things, we can do so much more in our community if we do just, you know, just do a little bit of good, right? Um, rehabbing your building, you know, to preserve that that building for affordable housing. Um, I've heard a developer once say, you know, like, oh, why don't we just preserve the building? Oh, it's too expensive. We just might as well knock it down and build it new and sell it for market rate. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> or you could preserve it for, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it might be a little bit more expensive, but then you get to keep that home and that whole building that are full of elderly could stay there. Um, and that could eventually, you know, you can open it. I, I mean, there's so many different um, things to think about, right? And I think um, in affordable housing, in, in policy in particular, and in homelessness, you know, if we just reframe these conversations, I think we can go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. I the, the one thing, too, that kind of, kind of scares me as being you know, in the, the, the millennial generation too, I kind of find most of us save things for the absolute last minute, regardless of the severity of whatever it is that Mm -hmm. you're doing, because I cannot tell you how many times a day somebody calls and says, it's say it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And then they're looking for apartments you go over really what they're looking for. Okay, well, when do you need to move? I need to move this weekend. <laughs> and I'm, and it takes me back because I'm like, we can't even show you the unit before this weekend. Right. Because it's we're so backed up um, and scheduling. We're usually yeah. like, like seven to ten days out even from getting you in here. Wow. Now, if you apply for it sight unseen online, you know, we can get you in earlier because that's basically getting you to skip the line. But it's fair because you applied for it, you know, right. so you're, you know, that's how we can kind of get you in closer or sooner. But I think about that. And I'm like, man, this, this person is really, it, it's Tuesday and they they need to move by the weekend. There's been times I'm not kidding. It's been Wednesday, Thursday, where people have said, I need to move by this weekend. And, and like their demeanor is kind of calm. They're. Their tone is calm, and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, you're in some trouble. I mean, I hope you're, I hope you're living at home, and yeah. your, your lease isn't expiring, or you have some roommates, and you're on a month-to-month, and you, that's, you're saying you need to move, but you prefer to move this weekend. 
I guess my question about that is like, you know, how much of that are like cultural results of, you know, our economy as it stands, right? Mm. And so when I, I think about that and I think about why do millennials, Gen Zers and you know, whomever, why do they push things? Why, why do they wait until the last minute? Um, you know, I think for Gen Z, all they've ever known for their childhoods and lives is, you know, trauma, you know, you know, we, they had nine eleven. they had, you know, early childhood and then they had, or maybe not early childhood, maybe. Um, <laughs> well, are the, do they think that like, it's like everything else. It could just happen. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, so it, I think, I think, and then you had 2008, the financial crisis, and then you had, um, you know, like wars. Right. And so you're constantly, you know, they're just constantly like, yeah, I'll just put it off. I'll put it off. I'll put it off. I don't need to For address sure, it right it's, now. It's just, you know, like, push it I, aside. and then, but then what is the result of that? You know, to your point about, you know, um, you know, is that really pushing our economy in the direction that it should be? And then when I think about millennials, you know, us, you know, um, it's kind of weird to think of us as being older now. As, you know, know, we were like, know. we were like the cool ones. And then now we're like, mah, mah, and yeah. like, oh, you're so millennial. Um, you know, I think about like where we are and how many of our generation, to your point, I think we definitely push things to the last minute. I mean, we're, we're probably one of the most poorest generations you know, in this country, you know, when I think about most of us have, if you look at like net worth, right. Yeah. Like when we think about as a, as a whole nation, millennials, you know, many of us are college educated, but living at home with our parents. Yeah, Yeah. You know, um, I have, you know, most of my friends still live at home with their parents, you know, I think we're in the same boat with that too. Cause a lot of my friends, um, still live at home. I lived at home till, um, just a year a year ago, a year right. and a half ago, and I would still be living at home, honestly, if I didn't move down to to Florida, because it's just <laughs> you save so much money. Exactly. And I, I love comparing generations, so I love this conversation. Yeah, right now, I'm so, so I glad love comparing <laughs> generations because um, I I think too, you know, looking around, always always taking in you know my own experience and and um go and going based off of that. I want to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that there's also like the level of drive within millennials and Gen Zs? Do you think that the level of drive since, you know, let's say go back to like the the greatest generation, then go to baby boomers, then millennials, then Gen Zers, I feel like that drive has slowly just kind of, it's been a downturn a little bit just because mm-hmm. of also adding in a lot of instant um, hiccups. And by hiccups, I mean, you know, social media, distractions, other services that make things easier, but they're more expensive. So they're also tempting. And then also factoring in the way companies market and, what you actually do need to survive is now is more expensive than obviously it used to be. You know, you didn't baby boomer, baby boomers and the greatest generations didn't need a smartphone to survive. Smartphones are expensive. You know, they're everyone finances it at first too. Cause where it's, it's usually a thousand plus. Um, and then you, of course you have now smartphone means you have Wi-Fi. That's another bill, you know? So there's, I, I feel like, 
we're almost in the scenario we're kind of in because I feel like there's been a a slow maybe downturn of that inner drive, but at the same time combine that with those things that have now taken place in our lives that nobody really knew would that are right. very expensive. And, you know, I, I feel like it's become the norm now to where everybody that is trying to, that's maybe not in the, the, the van life. They're just really focused trying to make it. And financially speaking, um, and trying to make things work career wise and everything, you know, they're, Usually on that 10 to 12 hour day every day, whether it's side job and work or school with side job or a combination of both. Yeah. And, you know, you're able by doing that, you're able to kind of be in that normal, you know, afford rent, maybe on the onwards to owning a home. But. At the same time, I mean, you are exhausted by doing that yeah. at the same time too. I, and, and just, just to, just to stay pretty much on that normal, even upward trend keel. Yeah. I can tell you just from, based on my experience and based on my friends' experiences. So I, myself, I'm working full time. I'm also a full time grad student. I'm also... Don't tell me you got a couple kids, too. Cause I do not have kids. Oh, geez, I was, was <laughs> going to say, I was like, she's a mom, too. I was like, oh, man. I, no, I, I do have... I am married, and I do have pets, and I am trying to buy a house, right? Yeah. There is... I am fucking tired every single day. You know, I'm also taking care of my parents to a certain extent. Um, it's exhausting. I am so tired. Um... And so to, you know, to, I, and sometimes I'm just, I just literally want to say, I don't want to do any of this anymore. Sometimes I, you know, Annie, if you're listening to this, I don't mean this, but sometimes I'm just like, I want to quit. I want to, you know, (laughs) I I want to, I don't want to work here anymore. I don't want to, or I don't want to do school anymore. I don't want to do any of these things. Um, you know, whereas I don't think generations prior to us, had those kinds of pressures you know my my dad was talking to me he's like why are you why are you working at the same time as going to school and I'm like because I can't afford (laughs) to not (laughs) to I can't take care of you the way that I'm taking care of you if I wasn't going to if I wasn't working right now um you know and and you know just to think about I think you're 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 right in the sense that um there's so much pressure right now that you know when you, when we think about economics 101 what what are we willing to sacrifice you know what are you know what is the cost benefit analysis what what am i willing to give up to keep yeah you know yeah, am yeah. i willing to give up a job that i love that pays pretty good uh or do i want to think about long term and support myself in the future and make sure i get my mba or you know I, or do I sacrifice my marriage a little bit? <laughs> Which I feel like most people end up doing. And most people end up doing. And so, and I think that's that, you know, and I think about my friends, you know, some of my friends are like, I don't know how y'all are married right now. And I'm just like, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of just like roommates almost to an extent. You know, like I barely ever spend time with my husband. Like I, you know, um, and, and so, and my friends, the same thing, you know, my friend, you know, she, um, she was going to, she was doing, she's a librarian. She was, um, doing grad school, 
um, working part time, and that was even hard for her. She couldn't yeah. she couldn't have a social life. Um, I have another, oh yeah, and you don't even don't you, we didn't oh, even mention yeah, we didn't even life. talk about social life. I don't even have a social life, you know. Yeah. Um, and my friends, you know, I mean, uh, my other friend, she is doing her master's in um, clinical social work, and so she, um, you know, she's exhausted. You know, she doesn't have a social life. She hasn't gone on a date in years. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. girl, you need to go on a date. She's like, I don't have time to, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, that's, that's the thing, you know, and I haven't seen her. I mean, the first time I saw her in like a month was this morning for breakfast at like 8.15. Yeah. I planned it like three months ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. And so, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing we need to think about as millennials that we're constantly, you know, under pressure to perform. Um, and so a lot of us you know, what are we willing to give up? You know, yeah. is it, is it that home? Is it housing? Or, you know, I've, I've met some millennials that they're willing to sacrifice their well-being, their education, just so they can afford a really nice apartment. Yeah. Even you know? if it's a rental. Ex- exactly. Yeah. I, I have a friend, I had a friend who was, I knew someone that was renting an apartment right here in downtown for like 2500 Mm. It was really expensive, yeah. and I I think they were a teacher and working some doing something else part time. I'm like, you cannot be doing this. This is not sustainable. No, but I want to live like this, and I'm like, that's not gonna work. It's like, yeah, it's almost like you want to look like this, not live exactly. Like this. And yeah. my and the, that's the thing about Miami. We're very superficial. I'm sure you'll. Oh, it's all. You, aesthetics. Oh, you already knew. It's oh, okay. all aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's why I was like. I've, I've, I think like fit in with Miami. I've gotten some friends and so forth too while I've been down here. But, um, I was one things I was scared about because I am such a functional person, not an aesthetic person. Right. And I was talking with somebody actually the other day and I was having this conversation and I had told them, I was like, oh, and look, and I pulled out my wallet and my credit cards and my money is in a plastic bag. And <laughs> they, and I, we were out to eat. Like, it wasn't like we're at the beach. I didn't want it to get wet. Like, that is literally my wallet well, is a plastic bag. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, yeah, I change it once a week. It's my Louis Vuitton. And, um, <laughs> you know, we, we kind of like joked about it because, um, you know, the person was um, – like a good combination of like functional and aesthetics you had a very good balance. Yeah. Um, I'm very functional, not really aesthetic. I'm kind of gravitating a little bit more towards because it is kind of fun and nice to decorate your own apartment, to have a little fashion sense. That stuff is fun. I'm kind of learning that by being down here in Miami <laughs> um, and being like a foodie, you know, rather than just water and peanut butter sandwich. Um <laughs> But uh, I've learned that in Miami, yeah, that it's it's mainly aesthetic. It's, and, yeah, and it's all about what you appeared like. And I think this kind of goes back to the 80s and 90s. What was happening in 80s and 90s? Cocaine. <laughs> like a lot of cocaine, you know? Yeah. How do we be extra as possible? How do we look as extravagant as possible? Yeah. You know, how do we all, like, keep up appearances? Um, but it only goes so far, and it's so shallow. Um, and so this, you know, just to kind of go back to our generation and what, you know, what we're doing and when it comes to housing, it's like, you know, how do I make sure that I keep up my appearance, that I look good and sacrifice everything else? Yeah. Um, which yeah. is unfortunate, you know, um, it's, it's interesting because between me and my friends, I think only some of my friends understand why I'm buying a house and they're like, why are you buying a house? Just rent this place for a while. And I'm like, 
Nah, bro. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to live. I'm trying to invest. I'm trying to do this. You know, stay. Exactly. I'm trying to like plant my roots. I'm trying to have. You know, eventually we want kids. You know, I want to do this, these things, and then you know, it's it's interesting that it's like, nah. You know, I want to focus on on the here and now, and it's it's like the hustle. And I think to your point earlier, I think social media has hurt us so much. Because we focus so much on the aesthetic and because we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. Yeah, it's, it's comparing every yeah. single day. Every single I'm day. I'm constantly, you know, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even, you know, that old, you know, I'm not, I'm not old at all, you know, but I think, you know, I compare myself to others and I'm like, oh my God, but look at her. She's traveling, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but hold on. Why am I doing that? You know, who knows what, what their life is yeah. like, you know? And I think, you know, to your point about, um, you know, social media and smartphones and all of these things helped us out so much. You know, I, I need, frankly, I need Google Maps to travel within Miami-Dade County sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think all of us do. Um, you know, that has helped us out so much. But at the same time, it's like we, we're hurting ourselves as well. And I, um, so going back to your initial question about drive and whether or not we have that same drive, I think we do. But I think there's just more pressure. Mm. Um, I think we do have a similar drive to Gen X and, and baby boomers and all of them, but there's an added pressure there. There's an added pressure to look good and feel good, you know, cause when we're trying to impress our parents, I don't know about you, but I always try to impress my parents, <laughs> yeah, you, know? For sure, for I, sure. you know, and, um, um, and there's also the added pressure of trying to succeed and trying to do better, but then it's, it's it's so much harder to achieve what our families and our parents and generations before us were able to achieve at our age. You know, my parents are always comparing me to them. They're like, you know, like, Oh, when I was your age, I already had, I already had you, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'm just like, but hold on. 21, 22, (laughs) exactly. You know, or, or like others, you know, I mean, like other, what you should say is, um, would you have rather me at 21 or 22 had kids in? Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, <laughs> I always have, like, oh. My mom is always like, oh, you know, why don't you have kids yet? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, did you think, you know, do you think I was ready at 21? Frank, you know, I, I didn't know any, you know, and she was like, mm, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause, cause 21 right now is in reality, like I would say like 16, 17 from back in yeah. the day. Yeah. I mean, um, For sure. And then the, that gap even gets greater too. I mean, I feel like, Right now, me hitting um, whatever I am, like 27, 28, I think. You know, COVID <laughs> yeah. year is probably 27. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't count 2020. No, no. 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 Um, you know, where I'm like, okay, like, let's start looking for a place to buy. Let's start getting our ducks in a row and everything. I feel like it used that used to be maybe around that 20, 21 age, you know, to a degree where, um, you know, I think, I mean, you're in your low to mid-20s. That... I think is envisioned as still like a, a, yeah. a kid almost. Yeah. And we were talking about this earlier with, with my youth, you know, with our youth, we, you know, I mentioned like home ownership and buying a house, you know, or renting and, you know, they're all between the ages of 16 to 24 and they're just like, nah, don't want to talk about this right now. This is not really a priority, which I totally get. I get this may not be a priority, but you know, that, you know, that just proves your point that, you know, the older we're getting, you know, home ownership or investing in ourselves or investing in something that's not seen as a short term or long term goal. That's seen as something that's not even, you know, yeah. in the cards. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I saw, um, 
I saw this like ridiculous article by NBC that kind of eventually went viral because of it, and it showed a pie chart. NBC interviewed like this, I think like twenty eight year old guy who lives in New York City, and it was like, where does his monthly income go? And <laughs> Uber Eats. That's where mine goes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, what made me laugh was um, in there it said he donates $600 to charity a month. And I was like thinking to myself, I was like, there's no one I know that donates to charity except if they like, – that our age, except if they get like yeah. pa- pawned in like when you're checking out a CVS. Yeah, says, Do you yeah. want to donate well, like $1 yeah, yeah, and they yeah. accidentally hit yes and like, fuck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I don't like, want to help puppies yeah, today. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, but, then, <laughs> but then they end up, you know, it's like, oh, just whatever. Um, and I was like, that is like such a lie. And I was glad that in the comment section, there was mockering of it. It's, I think there's just a lack of awareness, right? Yeah. Of, of what our, each generation's going through right now. Like, you know, our generation, frankly, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, like so many of us are just hella poor, yeah. you know, we, there's no way uh, anyone, I mean, maybe someone is donating $600 a month to charity, yeah. which I, maybe it's in kind. Maybe it's like clothes are worth $600. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But there's no way 600 a month, no, you know? No. I mean, I, I to, can't, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd like to donate to myself. Um, so, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, um, Uber Eats tab. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to cook today. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think. It's a lack of awareness of, again, I think what people need to be doing is listening and having conversations with vulnerable populations about what's actually happening and, like, you know, learning, you know, what what are we doing with our money and how do we improve as an individual yeah. and as an economy? Because, you know, I think with, with – with, and also, I think a lot of people don't know what to do with their money. A lot of people think that, oh, let me just keep my money in the bank and my money will grow. No, you can yeah. do so much more with your you money. You can, you can. I learned you that can, too. Yeah, and like we don't have these conversations until like we're in our mid-20s, which is insane to me. Yeah. You know? Um, it, mm-hmm. it is. It is definitely like you almost want to like rewind and be like, why didn't we teach this in like high school or yes, like in college absolutely. at the minimum? And you hear that a lot come tax time. You know, oh, you see the memes, sure. um, oh, I'm glad I know the Pythagorean theorem, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know how to do my, my taxes. Um, yeah. I've, I, for the longest time have always felt that way. Yeah. Up until I really like did some self like reflection on it. And I was like thinking to myself, putting myself when I was 18 in high school, doing sports and everything, I, you know, put myself back in my shoes in class and I was like, you know, if I'm in class at that point, I have no income, you know, being in high school, I have a basketball game later that day after school. You know, I have all my friends around. There is that super, super cute girl about two rows ahead, two rows behind me, and then three rows to my left. This teacher is trying to tell me about how to do taxes. Uh, Am I putting that that focus in there? For sure, for sure. No, I I totally agree with you. I think that's why, um, you know, when I I meet with you, you know, I have a teenage sister, right? And I talk to her sometimes about, you know, this is what you need to be thinking about. She's like, Audrey, come on. Audrey, you know, 
Audrey slash mom, why are you talking to me about this? <laughs> yeah. Like nobody need, like nobody talks about these things. And I'm like, but you can talk about these things. You can do these things. And it's like, no, oh, this isn't a priority for me. You know, I, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what nail polish to use. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding yeah, me right like, now? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, but you know, to your point, I totally get it. I yeah. totally get it. You know, why aren't, you know, I think to your point, yeah, like I think, you know, but I think to your point though, we can be talking about these things earlier on. Yeah. But we just need to make it friendly to them. Yeah, fr- you know? friendlier and more definitive. Exactly. Just like sex ed, right? You can't, you know, you can't talk about sex ed, you know, to elementary school and middle school kids without them like throwing a riot. You know, you you, you talk yeah. to them about like, here, this is what consent is, you know. <laughs> these are the different things you know you need to be thinking about. That is age appropriate, right? And so that way they take that seriously and they internalize that. And then they go on, you know, and I think we can do the same thing with housing and finance, you know? Yeah, I, I think so. Because what works with sex ed too is, okay, guys, November 15th for a week straight, we're going to talk about sex. And then everybody knows and yeah, is exactly. prepared for that, you know? Exactly, and I think, exactly. I think it would be the same where, all right, guys, next week or whenever it is, it's going to be boring. It's going to be boring. It's it's called adult time, though. It's called adult time. You know, you're the people who graduated a couple of years before you have been making memes about us. So we've got to we've got to smarten this up, and we're actually going to do it now. We're going to teach about taxes. It's going to be boring. You're going to learn something though, but you will come here, you know, prepared, kind of like you know, sex ed. I mean, it's not as um, you know exciting. It's not or, sexy. Or crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I think that's what we need to be doing. I think you know our young people have said that. You know, residents have said that to us. Like, how do we make um, resources, workshops, all these things available earlier on yeah. and user friendly, you know, um, you know, our young people can figure out, you know, if our young people can figure out zoom a lot, a lot, yeah. you know, that quickly, they can figure out taxes and they can figure out housing. They can figure out leases just as easily. We just have to make it, you know, user friendly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, just, just simpler. And everything, which which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. With public policy too, um, it takes so long oh, to yeah. make happen, and just to get like passed or funds. So fun story: the the policy that I mentioned earlier, passing the ordinance in the Miami Dade County for month to month renters uh, to be evicted instead yeah. of it being fifteen days to change it to thirty days. When it happened in Miami Beach, it happened in the 90s. In, in the city of Miami, it passed in 2017. This policy for Miami-Dade County just passed in 2021. It took so long to have these conversations. And when we first started talking about making this a countywide ordinance or policy, you know, a policy to make it thir- um, 30 days uh, for, pe- for month-to-month renters to leave... It, we started working on the affordable housing framework in 2017. So it took, it took a couple years for it to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, so to your point about policy, policy making, it takes years because one, you need to get everyone to agree. You need to get, um, you need to make sure you're doing it right. Uh, and you need to make sure it passes. And there were so many hiccups along the way that it took such a long time. And so I totally agree with you that it takes a very long time for policies to happen. So I think 
that's why I think for me, I really want to focus on the long term because if it's going to take this long, it might as well do some really good things yeah. along the way. And it for better. Yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, yeah. Do, do you guys get involved with, um, local elections and so too as, as an organization, if, if there is just one you know, I'm assuming you guys would if there's just one candidate that's absolutely for affordable housing and then the other one's just absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And then and then in the middle too, do you guys or do you guys just kind of wait it out, whoever wins, then you really try yeah. to Yeah, um, I mean we do have conversations with in, during election years. We do have those kinds of conversations, but we are 501c3. Um, so yeah. we can't like support one candidate. Uh, but what we do is we have conversations with all candidates and say, "Hey, this is what we're about. Think about us. And then yeah, we wait so it out. Of, yeah, and then you <laughs> and then, kind yeah. of pass it down. Like, exactly. Okay. And, then, and then we wait it out, you know. And then um, that's, that's what we did with this past election year. We actually um, co-hosted um, candidate forums uh, with Miami Foundation and others. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, to talk about, you know, the issues that residents have been bringing up, and namely affordable housing. And so that's those are the kind of conversations we had with candidates we said hey like you know let's have these forums let's talk about it affordable housing being a big issue and then we wait we see how it all plays out and then right when they're elected um so you remember us <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, how about yeah. that meeting let's have this conversation let's um, do you're this you're hoping they'll still pick up the phone exactly exactly i mean we're, we're we're known to be persistent you know so if if they don't pick up we'll just email and non-stop so <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have that meeting we're gonna talk <laughs> mm-hmm. no that's good you, you kind of you have to be i feel like um especially with these issues too i mean you know the they just not going away yeah you know, i was thinking about this this morning um you know, the market, the sales market, rental market is off the roof in Miami right now. So I feel like homelessness can be, there's a lot more maybe at risk um, just because I feel like people are getting pushed out, especially with gentrification and the people at the, the bottom of the totem pole right now financially are at risk to, if they get pushed out from the people maybe living in the middle class um, neighborhoods they're at risk for, for being homeless. And then I was thinking, well, what's the opposite? What if the market was crashing? I was like, if the housing market was crashing, still a lot of people at risk to be homeless. And I was wondering, I was like, in a hot market or in a terrible market, I feel like if it's going directly in one direction or the other, it's bad for Either way, people, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Averjane from um, that, the Vagabond Group, um, and so what she did was really interesting. Um, she noticed that a lot of her employees were consistently late to work, um, and you know they shared with her, "I'm taking two, three buses to go from here to here. Um, I can't afford anywhere near this neighborhood." And so she actually repurposed one of the buildings and made it affordable housing for her employees. And so That's I think a nice boss, right? <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, you give me my. I'm just kidding. Uh, so these are things that we. I think that that was a really interesting model. And so I think that that's another. You know, when the market is whether or not the market is crashing or it's growing, like I think models like that can work. Yeah. Um, and I think when it comes to um, you know, if it, if it were to, you know, 
obviously this bubble is not going to last for this long, you know, where this trend is, you know, I think a couple of years from now it's going to go down, you know? Um, so how do we, you know, what do we need to anticipate for? Um, I like that you think like that too, because, um, that is how you are good at something is anticipating. Right. And I feel like with, um, government, especially they are not proactive, they're reactive. And right. I love that you use that, that, that word I mean, anticipate that's, because yeah, that's, that's just, how law works. You yeah, know? yeah. So I think we need to anticipate the fact that, yes, you know, the, the market is incredible right now, right? Um, we have people coming all across the country. You came here from Jersey. Um, <laughs> people are coming here from California, from Texas, from Colorado. I actually met a couple of people that just moved here. And so, you know, we, we have to think about what do we, when is this going to end? Clearly, this may end in a year or two times, right? A year, yep. a year or two from now. So what do we need to anticipate by then? Um, there's there's clearly right now an influx of jobs. I don't know if you've been looking, but everywhere is hiring right now. But no one is, is applying. Yep. So you couple that. You have a labor shortage and soon to be a housing, um, a, a huge housing supply, so what the heck are we going to do, Miami-Dade? <laughs> so these are, these are the kinds of conversations I want uh, all of us to be having and to make sure that we're having that, one, people are applying for these jobs, and then, two, that we address the, uh, the impending you know, supply. I mean, there's already quite a supply already, but it's just so damn expensive that you know, the, the you know, tenants and, and residents are not meeting that, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's. I like that you you brought up the um, the labor shortage on top of the open jobs because it's like a very it's a rarity when you don't have that because mm-hmm. you would think boom like that would work. You have open jobs. You have people that need jobs. Mesh, but it's not but happening. It's, yeah, it's, it's not. Just, you know, and I think why is that happening? You know, I, I met with some of. You know, I, I've been, you know, just trolling on social media. It's like, okay, why, why are people not applying for jobs? I was like, I think I Googled that. I don't know what I was doing. But then people are like, I don't want to apply for this job because it's not paying enough and it's, you know, it's not going to do it for me. And people are saying that, you know, why work this thing when I can do this instead um, and coast, right? It, yeah, the coast, yeah. Right, and, and that's so interesting to me. And then you have this new generation and I've, or not new generation, you have this, this subgroup of people that are just like, you know what, I'm just going to work a temp job and then travel and work this, you know, I, I've literally met a couple of people that are around our age. It's all short term mentality. Yes. And it's so interesting to me. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I literally met a couple of folks that literally just work, um, you know, a couple of jobs for about six months and then the rest of the year, they're just out traveling, which I find so interesting. Like why do that when, you know, you can, you know, it, it just going back again, it's like, why are people doing these kinds of things? Yeah. I get it to a point because I was there myself where, you know, when you graduate from school, you're kind of talked to like you're, this is your dream now, you know, this is your dream. You're now hitting it. But then that what has been said doesn't necessarily meet what the actual reality is. Right. And, you know, when you you graduate, you don't realize that because you were treated so well, you're junior, senior, graduating. You don't realize that you're going on the absolute bottom of the pit of 
society speaking economically and experience wise. And it's such like a, a shocker to you at the same time. And then when you go to apply, you're like, Oh man, like not only do I not want to do this, but this specific position, but the, the pay doesn't meet it. And I feel like you can always buy if there's one of those that works, the pay is really high, but maybe it's a, not the job yeah, you're like, looking what are for. You willing to sacrifice? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, or you love the job. Um, but the pay isn't always as good. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's such a shocker that then people look towards, oh man, how can I still kind of have that feeling that I had a couple of years ago where they were on top of the world, they were peaking mentally and, yeah, and everything. I and, loved college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then I know me too. And you know, you, you, you know, you hit that truth and you know, there's so many different options where different roads you can go. There's, you know, kind of coasting for a little bit. There's just delaying everything. And I think almost probably a hundred percent of people after they graduate, they don't dissect their finances mm -hmm. for probably a year and a half to two years. At least they don't go, okay, I'm owing this much. I'm bringing in, bringing in this much, you know, my credit score is this to really have that conversation. Cause I don't think anybody wants to at that point, because it's, you know what the reality is. Right. So it's like, you just don't want to, if you don't have to. Um, and it just, you push it back, push it back, push it back. And then you always either, eventually you make that choice of, all right, I'm going to kind of accept this grit down a little bit to a degree and then try to make this work or that coast mentality, which can last for like, I feel like forever. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> really. I mean, it, I feel like that could go on for someone's whole entire life. Just kind of just going on to the next thing, letting life control you rather and taking advantage of the circumstances and you just kind of accepting it and going in or, yeah. you know, you make that hard choice. I think about that interesting generation with Jack Kerouac right? Where people were that whole generation of folks of creative individuals just kind of coasted, right? Um, and I think about why they did that, you know, the results of World War II, the oncoming, the incoming of the Cold War. Mm. I think about, you know, and I think about our generation and I see so many, and not, not just ours, but Gen Z as well, you know, the pressure after graduation, and, and the, you know, obviously there's a lot of privileges there, right? You, you have a college degree. I think about those that do not have a college degree and why, you know, why they do the things that they do. And I think for, for us, when, when people, you know, I, I've asked some friends, you know, why they, why they do that. You know, I had one friend, I, I knew this one girl, she, literally just worked for like a year at post-graduation, worked, 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 worked. And then she did the van life for like two <laughs> years. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> she did the van life for two years and she loved it. And then she was posting recently about how much she misses it and she, how she wishes she can just do that again. Yeah. And I think, I think there's, you know, to what we were talking about earlier, there's so much pressure, um, 
you know, on all of us right now to make enough money to, you know, support an aging population more than before. Social Security is going to be gone soon, right? Um, you know, we have to take care of our elders. We have to, we have this pressure to perform. We have this pressure to, um, you know, do great. But then there are no systems in place to allow that to happen. Like to your point, you know, post-graduation, were you making enough money to be able to thrive? Probably not. (laughs) You know, I don't know anyone that graduated college and was able to like fully live their lives. Um, you know, and so there, there's, there's just so much pressure there. And so it's like, why go through all of that? So I, you know, I think I agree with you. I understand the van life. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's surprising too. Sometimes people do it that you did not expect to be doing that. Right. And when I meet people, sometimes uh, I met, you know, I met this girl, like we were in college together. We're both high performing, you know, do-gooders, get all A's, do all the things. We were super involved on campus. And next thing you know, um, she was MIA on social media for a while. And then I think like a year or two later. That's always concerning. Right. Yeah. A year or two later, she's living the van life. <laughs> and she's been living and she's been loving it. And she's still doing the van life. And I was like, oh, my God, this is insane, you know? And, and you know, she was it was totally unexpected for someone like her, right? And so I think about that, and I think about, you know, like, again, with the lack of affordable housing, there's less and less housing available, um, partly because I think many of us may not be wanting it. Uh, many of us may, may not be wanting it, or may, we, may, we may not be allowed to have it you know, due to not being able to afford it, um, you know, due to um, systems in place that discriminate against them, due to, um, you know, just not being able to find resources or just due to like, you know, I don't give a fuck anymore. Let me just get out of here. You know, there's so many reasons why I think there's, there's this housing shortage, um, but at the same time, a big supply. Okay. Well, um, well, thanks for that, and I, I appreciate you, um, Audrey, for coming on today yeah, and, no, thank and you. speaking with me. It's been um, it's been fun, you know, t- talking about these issues too. Sometimes isn't like the the most like happy, cheerful conversations, but you're so bubbly and you're able to make to be, it kind of. <laughs> I mean, it, you didn't see me earlier chug, chug a cup of coffee. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. No, no. Thank, uh, thank you, Audrey. And good luck with everything. Um, you know, Miami homeless for all wish you guys the best of luck. We'd love to touch base too down the road and see how you guys are doing and, you know, hopefully hit that, you know, functional zero, but I'm, you know, I'm sure that's always a, a, a trending fight. So, um, thanks for all the great work you guys do. I encourage people to, you know, definitely, research them they're uh one of the best in miami at just organizing and implementing very good solutions to the overall problem um which uh is just a much needed wonderful thing so thank Thank you audrey thank you you have a great one (laughs) you too